And if you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. We have been walking through the book of Galatians for a little bit of time now. We're going to continue doing that. And uh, we have seen some amazing things, actually. In Galatians, we've seen, we've seen Paul's defense of the gospel from several different angles. I'm not going to have time this morning to go back and review all of the chapters uh, again um, of Galatians, Galatians 1 and the first part of chapter 2, but uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons. Go back and read those texts in Galatians chapter 1 and 2. Paul is making a defense of his gospel. There were people coming into the churches of Galatia that were adding to the gospel, saying you must believe in Jesus to be saved, but also you have to do these works. You have to be circumcised. You have to live like a, a Jewish person, like they've always lived. And so all of that has been going on, and Paul is making his defense. Today, as we look at Galatians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 11 through 21, but we're really going to start in verse 15 because we did 11 through 14 last week. We're jumping actually right back into the middle of a very contentious scene where Paul is confronting Peter about walking out of step with the gospel. Last week we focused on 11 through 14, so let's read those verses again just to recall those to our mind. It says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews, acting hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that, they, that their conduct was not in step, with the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, I said to Peter, which is this Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live as a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That's the matter at contention. Peter is drawing back from the Gentiles. He's afraid of these guys that have come from James, come from Jerusalem, these Jewish people, and he's going back to his tradition, back to living according to the law. He is going back to the idea that Gentiles eating with them would make you unclean. And it's here, if you were here last week, we went into depth about how this was hypocritical for Peter to do. It was denying the gospel by his actions. Now, Peter believes salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. He teaches it. He believes it. We've seen his preaching throughout Acts. But with his actions... He was saying Jesus is not enough to make Gentiles clean before God. They also have to live like Jews. They have to live according to the Jewish law and all those things. And if they want to have fellowship with me, then I would be unclean. Peter was denying the truth of the gospel that he himself believes that only Jesus and Jesus alone cleanses people before God. Now, last week we also talked about how we as Christians often think and act in the same way. We don't walk in the truth of the gospel in, in our marriages, in our relationships, in how we respond to trials, in how we respond to suffering or conflict. And we learned that growing and maturing in Christ 
is when our thinking and our actions and our own hearts become more and more in step with the truth of the gospel that we believe. And we ended last week by showing that to correct Peter in this, as Paul confronts him, Paul doesn't give him a new law to follow or new rules to follow. He brings Peter back to the very gospel that Peter himself believes. And we ended last week showing that we must continually return our hearts and our minds and our our actions to the truth of the gospel that we profess, that we believe, that we know is true. And we must do it over and over and over and over again until the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes the lens through which we see everything, see ourselves, see our marriages, see our relationships, our circumstances, our brothers and sisters, even, even our failures. We see them through the lens of the gospel. And today we're going to see how we do that. We need to hear how Paul brings Peter back to the gospel and then allow Paul's words here by the Holy Spirit to bring us back to the gospel as well, that we might walk in it. Let's read verses 15 through 21, and that's what we're going to examine today. Paul just confronted Peter. He said, "If you, though a Jew, live like a Jew and not like uh, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews?" And he says, "We ourselves are Jews by birth." He's talking to Peter and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we. Peter, we, me and you, Peter and Paul, we've also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would just give us clarity today and that you would, God, you would make your word known to us. Lord, I, I know that there's nothing I can say that can change a heart. So God, I pray that you would speak today, that you would speak through your word and that you would do business with all of our hearts today and that you would change us and that you would glorify your name. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first thing that Paul does in this section he's talking to Peter is he brings Peter back to remember how a person is justified before God. And that's what our hearts need to remember as well. Now, when we talk about being justified, we've seen before in Galatians, justified. Being justified means being declared righteous by God. To be right with God, to be accepted by God, God himself must declare you righteous. He's the judge of all the earth, and his word stands above all. To be declared righteous by a holy God, we must have a perfect, absolute perfect righteousness. There can't be the slightest imperfection. 
the slightest hint of sin on our account before him. For God is perfect in his justice. Being justified is being declared righteous as if we have lived a perfect life according to the law of God, never sinning against it, and always doing everything that it commanded. And as we walk through Galatians and indeed the rest of the New Testament, we've seen the only way that can happen for a sinner like me, like you, is being united to Jesus Christ in faith. So that His righteousness, His perfect life, His sacrificial death is credited to my account. Only in Jesus can the sinner stand perfect before the judgment bar of God. So that's the only place that we can find our identity, our peace, our rest, our salvation, because that's where our righteousness is found. Paul reminds Peter of this in these verses. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth. He's talking to Peter. And not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is looking Peter in the eyes and says, Peter, we're Jews by birth. We're, we're not Gentile sinners. That's the way the Jews referred to Gentiles. They were people outside the covenant. They were without God's law, without God's word. So they saw them as just sinners by nature. That's all that they can be, for they have not the word of God or the promises of God or the covenant of God. They were people outside of that. Paul reminds Peter, he says, look, you and I are Jews. We're covenant people. We have the law. We have the word of God. We have the promises of God. And even we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Even as good Jewish guys, both Peter and Paul, knew that they haven't kept the law perfectly. They had seen the reality of their own sin. So Paul says, Peter, don't you remember how we're justified? I mean, that's why we trusted in Jesus in the first place. We turned away from trying to gain our righteousness before God through the law... And we believed in Jesus to be justified. That's what he says. We, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. And we also believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Peter, you know this. You believe this. We both believe it, Paul might say. So Paul's point to Peter is clear. If God's covenant people can't be righteous in God's sight by keeping the law and keeping the works and keeping the rules... It's senseless for Peter to require the Gentiles to observe the law in order to be clean before God. Three times in verse 16, Paul says that right standing with God cannot come by the law, but only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Three times in one verse. And then he says at the end, by works of the law, no one, literally no flesh will be justified. Not Jews, not Gentiles, not religious folks, not pagan folks. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter about your upbringing or your education or your background or your social status or your race or, or whatever else makes you different than everybody else. It doesn't matter who you are. No one will be justified by works of the law. And make sure you understand why. There's nothing wrong with God's law. 
The law is not a bad thing. The law reflects the nature and the character of God. It is good. Paul says in Romans 7, the law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. The problem isn't God's law. The reason no one will be justified by works of the law is because no one can keep the law. The problem is with us, not the law. We're we're sinners by nature. So the first thing that Paul does to bring Peter back to the gospel as he walks out of step with it is to remind him of how we're justified. We must be reminded of this. When we fall into thinking that our works give us higher standing before God than Jesus has, our sin or our failure is diminishing our standard before God because Jesus is not enough. That is not only untrue, but it means that we're walking over, stepping upon, disgracing the cross and the grace of God. We must be reminded of how we're justified, how any person is justified before God when we hold resentment and unforgiveness over our brothers and sisters. When we we won't fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ until we add our sufficient laws upon them so that they can have fellowship with us. That's what Peter was doing here. We must remember that God declares sinners righteous by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and Jesus' payment is enough. To say, Peter, you're walking out of step with the gospel, Paul doesn't come and give him a new rule to follow. He says, Peter, don't you remember how we were made right with God? And the next thing he shows him, he tells him basically to remember what we've been saved from. When we forget the gospel, we need to remember how we were justified in the first place. And we need to remember what we were saved from. He says, but in, if in our endeavor we're justified, to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now, verse 17 is a strange statement. It takes just a little bit of explanation. When he says, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we're found to be sinners, what he means is, Peter, you and I are Jews. And as Jews who seek to be righteous in living according to the law, if we forsake the law as a way to be righteous, and we turn to Christ as a way to be righteous, we're admitting that we're sinners just like the Gentiles are. We're saying being Jewish can't save me. We're saying the law can't save me. We're saying the things that we know and walk in as Jews, they can't save me. And we're forsaking all of that as a way to be righteous. And we're going to Christ to be righteous. We're admitting that it can't make us right. And if we admit that the law can't make us righteous, we ourselves will be found to be sinners just like the heathen Gentiles. And the objection is if the Messiah would have us leave aside God's law as a way to be justified, then you must be saying that the Messiah, Christ, condones sin against God's law. That Christ would be promoting sin. That He would be the servant of sin. Paul's answer to the objection is no. He says if we're found sinners, if we, if we endeavor to be justified in Christ, we're too, we too are found to be sinners just like Gentiles. Is Christ the servant of sin? Certainly not. And here's the reason. Verse 18, for because if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Let's unpack this. When Paul says, if I rebuild what I tore down, 
He's not saying that a person has the ability to tear down God's law or to rebuild God's law. The law of God is true and righteous. It stands forever. It's holy and perfect. What Paul and Peter have torn down is the law as a way to be right with God. They made the law a ladder by which you must climb up to reach the righteousness that God requires of you. Now, by trusting in Jesus alone for that righteousness, they've torn that ladder down and said, that's not the way. You can't get there that way. And they've gone to Jesus for that righteousness. And Paul's saying, if I set that ladder back up again, not only can I not be righteous, because no one will be justified by works of the law, but all I can do is prove myself to be the transgressor that I am. Is Christ the servant of sin? No, I prove myself to be a sinner. You see, the law can't help you be righteous. It never could. The law can't enable you to meet the standard of the law. All, you can, all it can do is show you your sin. It can show you the standard that God requires, and it can show you how you're not meeting it. Listen, it's up to you to keep the whole entire law perfectly if you want to be justified by it. Good luck. The law is a mirror to show you who you are before God. So when you gaze into the law, all you can see is God's perfection and your own sin. The purpose of the law is to show you your sin. So Paul's saying, listen, Peter, if you prop that old thing back up again, that old way back up again, if you prop that ladder back up again and you try to climb that ladder to be righteous before God, you're going to be right back in the same boat that you were in before Christ came. You couldn't keep it before, Peter. That's why you came to Christ. What makes you think you can keep it now? He's telling Peter, you need to remember what Christ has saved you from. That law that you're trying to resurrect for other people is the same law you couldn't keep. The same law that condemned you before. Even as a law-abiding, law-fearing Jew, it was God's law, Peter, that showed you your guilt and ensured your condemnation and your destruction. It was your sin revealed in the law that drove you to the Savior in the first place. And now you want to put it back up? You want to try to go that way again, that route again? All you're going to do is prove yourself to be a transgressor. Paul says, if I set it back up, I prove myself to be a transgressor. We need to be reminded that God saved you from the law's condemnation. And if you put the law back in place or add any part of it back in place to the gospel in order to be right with God or for others to be right with God, condemnation is the only possible result. You're going to draw the circle so tight that pretty soon you're going to be the only one standing in it. And then you're not going to be able to be standing in it because you have to keep the law perfectly as well. You need to remember, Peter, what we've been saved from. Don't set that ladder back up. Don't rebuild what we tore down, that way of righteousness. You can't keep it. And for you to put it on the Gentiles, to say you must do this, this, and this, Jesus won't make you clean in and of himself by his gospel. You need Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus the food laws. Jesus plus whatever to do that brings, it brings condemnation and it destroys the gospel. 
Peter, remember what we, remember what we were saved from. He brought us out of that. Praise God. And the third thing he says, he tells Peter basically to remember who Christ has made us. He says, for, though, for through the law I died to the law. So that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is urging Peter to remember what Jesus has done and who we are in Christ. He said, if I rebuild what I tore down, all I can do is prove myself to be a transgressor all over again. And here's why. Because for through the law, I died to the law. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. How did that happen? How did he die to the law to live to God? He tells us, I have been crucified With Christ, Christ died through the law. The punishment of the law for sin fell upon Jesus. The law condemned the only sinless Lamb of God and the punishment of the law, breaking the law, was poured out on Jesus. He died through the law. But Christ also died to the law. Christ died to the law in the sense that he paid the penalty in full. And now there is no more punishment that the law can extract from him. He has paid it all. The debt is fulfilled. Justice has been served. He died to the law's condemnation. The law has no claim over a dead man. Paul says, when Jesus died, I was crucified with him. When he died to the law, so did I. I was crucified with him. His death was my death. I was united with him and his payment was for my sin. And that person who I was, born from Adam, sinner before God, that person no longer lives. I died with him. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He also rose from the grave. So Paul says, now I'm united with Christ in his life. He said, it's no longer I who live But Christ who lives in me. Being crucified with Christ is not just a change in status from lost to saved. Like you jump out of the line going to hell and you jump into the line going to heaven. I've got a new status now and there's a sign over my head that says forgiven. That's it. It's a transformation where Jesus himself by the Spirit of God indwells you, indwells the believer. We've been raised to new life with Christ And the risen Jesus lives in us by the Spirit, lives through us by the Spirit. As new creatures, believers, we're no longer slaves to sin. No longer chained to the condemnation of the law. We've died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. The old man is gone. The old man of sin is gone. We're new creatures indwelt with a new spirit which brings new life. Amen. Amen. Here you might say, I hear what you're saying. I understand. And I believe that. I believe everything you said. I believe everything that's written in this passage. I know it's all true. I know that theologically Jesus indwells all believers I know that I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. I know it's true. But I look at my life, and I look at my heart, and I look at the way I respond to things, and sometimes I don't see it. I struggle with my sin, with the flesh, with the world. I struggle so bad, and it hurts, you might say. Oh, I long to obey Christ. It's the desire of my heart. I long to follow Him. I long to live pleasing to Him. But there's this war raging inside of me all the time. Flesh and spirit. Flesh and spirit. What do I do? If that's you, today I want to say, good. That's exactly what happens in the life of a believer indwelt with the Spirit. That's evidence that you've been born again. The unsaved person doesn't war over their sin. They accept it. They embrace it. Their sin doesn't bother them. Or they say, well, I know it's wrong, but hey, we all do it. It's all good. Sin doesn't bother you. There's no conviction of sin by the Spirit. They aren't fighting to live for Christ. They aren't struggling against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Saved people battle with sin. Saved people have this war going on in them because Jesus lives in them. The Spirit is sanctifying, growing us in holiness, in faith, in everything. That's the evidence that you've been saved. And, and you know what? Sometimes that battle's tough. And believers, our hearts break because it just doesn't look like Jesus is living through me. How do I live this out in a day-to-day -day life? I hear what you're saying. I can say, praise God. I can put a smile on my face. And I can say, I know it's true. And I can feel better when I leave here and raise my hand and sing for joy. But i got to go to work tomorrow. How do I do it there? How do I live this out? Paul tells you, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. He lives by faith, trusting and believing that Jesus is enough. He is all that I need. He is trusting. He is who he said he is. He has done what he says he has done. And I am who he says I am. By faith, I live this life by faith in the Son of God. Living by faith is not just trusting a belief system. It's not just trusting that I, I understand the correct way of salvation. It's trusting, it's trusting in a person. It's not trusting that everything's going to be okay. In this life, there are things that are not okay. Living by faith is trusting in a person. He says, this life I live in the flesh, I live by faith. Look at it. In the Son of God, in a person, faith takes hold of Christ and trusts Him that He is sufficient in every circumstance. No matter what comes, no matter what trial there is, no matter how someone wrongs me, He is enough. He is sufficient. He's sufficient to make me right with God, to forgive my sin, to satisfy my soul with, with, through trial and disappointment, to give me peace in every storm. We live by faith in a person. And Paul says, this person loved me and he gave himself for me. Notice, loved 
in verse 20 is in the past tense. You see it? He said, he loved me. Now, Jesus still loves you, and he will love you for eternity. That's true. But here's Paul is talking about a specific point in time, a specific point in the past when Jesus loved him. Our faith is in a person, the Son of God, who is God and man, who demonstrated his love for me. Paul would say, by giving himself on the cross for me. And at that point, Paul's argument to Peter is, he gave me everything. Paul says, this was for me. It was for me. This is not a theoretical or a philosophical belief stance or, or reality. For Paul, this is personal. And it must be personal for you. You can believe Jesus died. You can believe Jesus rose from the grave. You can believe Jesus died to pay for sin. Satan believes all those things. But until you trust with all that you are that Jesus gave himself for me, you haven't trusted the gospel. Justifying faith is not just a belief in some general principles about the way of salvation. It's a call to make faith in Jesus personal. He hung on the cross for me. He died for me. He lives in me. I am, I am right with God because of Him. And I believe it and I walk in it. My debt is clear because He stood in my place. And I trust in that and that alone. And then, believer, by God's grace... You walk in what He has done for you. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave Himself for me. Peter believed all of this. But by pulling back from the Gentiles, he wasn't walking in step with it. So to bring Peter back in step with the gospel, Paul helped him by reminding him how we're justified, Reminding him what we've been saved from, the law's condemnation of sin, and reminding him who we are in Christ. And lastly, Paul reminds Peter, he reminds him what's at stake here. This is not just a, well, it'll make you feel better message. He reminds him what's at stake. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose to add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ by our actions, by our words, by our thinking, is to nullify the grace of God. The false teachers coming into Galatia wanted to add one thing, one thing to the gospel, circumcision. You must believe in Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He died. He rose again. All that's true. You must trust in Him. And you must be circumcised if you're a Gentile. That's all you have to do. Not necessarily a big thing. Well, it might be a big thing, but you know what? It's just one thing. Not a big deal. Not worth dividing over. Paul would later write in Galatians, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. If you add the smallest work, the smallest, tiniest thing to the gospel in your own life, 
or as a demand upon other people. You've added the whole law. It's not piecemeal. You can't take it. It's, you don't get it your way like Burger King. You've got to take the whole thing. And if that's how you try to be right with God, if that's how you think you're going to be right with God, or, or that's the way you demand other people to be right with God, it's all or nothing. And you nullify the grace of God. If we add anything by our words, by our thoughts, by our actions, by our responses, we're saying that Jesus' death and resurrection is not enough. And we do this all the time. In the way that I respond to a trial, when I'm lost in my own hopelessness or my despair, I'm saying, I need something more than what Jesus gave me. Listen, when we add to the gospel... All of what we just read. I've died to the law. I've been crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. We're saying all that's worthless. If you can earn your favor or merit before God with your actions by works of the law, there was no reason for Jesus to die. When we put requirements on other Christians to fellowship with us in the body of Christ like Peter did here, we're effectively saying Jesus died for nothing. He's not enough to make you clean before God. Not in my eyes anyway. When we're, when we're taken by our own despair through trials, we're saying, I need something more than what Jesus has given me. Christ died for nothing. When we re refuse to forgive as He forgave, we're saying Jesus is not enough to cover that other person's sin. We're saying He died for no purpose. Listen, how we walk in the gospel shows what we believe about the gospel. With our minds, with our lips, with our hearts. Even P Peter believed the gospel. He wouldn't have denied it. I guarantee you. With our hearts and minds, we say, oh, Jesus is sufficient. He's enough. But how we walk reveals the truth. And growing in Christ means growing in walking out what we believe in the gospel. Seeing reality through the gospel. Seeing our trials. Seeing, seeing our conflicts. Seeing our failures. Seeing everything through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this by remembering the truth and judging our reality by it. By finding our identity in Him alone. Seeing our trials, our failures, our successes, our works, our families, our relationships. Seeing everything through the gospel of Christ. He died for a purpose, church. And I need Him. He saved me and made me right with God. Not because I was worthy, because I wasn't and still aren't. He gave me life and the abundant life that I seek, that you seek, the peace and the rest that we seek in the midst of trials and storms and conflicts and all of these things, it can't be found in anything else but Jesus Christ. And if I look for it in any other thing, all I will find is disappointment and my own sin staring right back at me. And even worse, I will tell the world, my Jesus died for nothing. Church, we have to walk in step with the gospel. Husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children, young people, old people. We must live out who Jesus has made us to be. This is not a new law to follow. This is not a rule. Do this or you're in trouble. This is a recognition. You have everything right now in Christ if you've trusted Him. What are you fighting so hard for that one other thing for? What are you fighting so hard to see that other thing for? 
What has got you in such despair when Christ has given you everything? He's enough. He is enough. He's sufficient. We must live out who He's made us to be. We've got to find our identity in Him alone, our forgiveness for one another in Him alone. We cannot prop up anything else to reach God, to satisfy my soul, because doing so nullifies the grace of God. All we have is Jesus. And I'm here to tell you this morning, He's enough. He's enough. He is all that you need. Trust in Him and let's walk in who He's made us to be. And if you don't know Him, I pray that you would trust in Jesus this morning. Give Him your heart and life. Let's pray. Father, we do love You. God, I pray that You would just use the words that we have read of Your Holy Bible. That You would use these inerrant words and, and that You would just apply them to our hearts. I know there's God, I just pray that you would do a work in all of us. That you would do a work in me. And that you would help us to walk in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you would help us to walk in what you have done for us. And if there's anyone here that does not know you, God, I pray that you would, that you would just show them the truth of what you have done, of who you are. And that you call them to yourself. And that they would give their heart, their life to you, trusting that you paid for their sin. And that only you can pay for their sin. And that freedom, freedom is just a breath away if they would just trust in you. So God, help them to call out upon you today and say, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have all of this, these sins upon my account, but I'm trusting that Jesus paid the price for those sins, that he gave his life for me and that I stand perfect in him, united with him by faith. God, and as believers, help us to walk what we know to be true in the gospel. Help us to see you for who you are and walk in that. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, I'm going to stand right down here, down front. If you want to come, I would be happy to pray with you. Trust in Jesus today. Will you stand with me?